The Truth News Network. Things to trust more than politicians. Cable company internet speeds. Stereo equipment out of a white van. Gas station sushi. Drinking water from Lake Erie. A weather forecast from Al Gore. Things you can trust. Well, let's start with someone immersed in the truth. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And to separate noise from reality, here's Dan Newman. Oh my gosh, just the thought of tuna sushi, tuna sushi, sitting in a refrigerator for a day or two or three or four at a gas station sushi bar. (laughs) How is that? For getting a day started. Oh my gosh, just the thought of it nauseates me. Hi, everybody. What a way to start the show, huh? Well, guess what? It's my show. We can start it that way. I hope you had a great day after Christmas. You know, for me, as much as I love the Christmas holiday and I adore every part of it, I love the family thing, I love the giving theme, I love the music. I love being together and, of course, receiving presents. Told you yesterday what our kids did for us. They got together and they are sending mom and dad to Israel in late February. And guess what? That means we're taking TNN Live on the road. Maybe not on the road. Uh, In the air. (laughs) We're going to have to get up in the air to get to Israel. But we're going to be doing the show live for a week and a couple of days Live from Israel, and we are already working on guests that are going to be with us over there. And we are trying desperately to get some of the Israeli people in government with the names you know. One of them just happens to be uh, Netanyahu. Don't know if we're going to be able to work that out, but we're doing our best. We will have special guests on every one of those shows when we broadcast live from Israel. For those of you trying to figure out the time lapse, it's eight hours. They have an eight-hour jump on us here in the United States in the central time zone. So that means it'll be five o'clock in the afternoon there when we do the show. And uh, that's this time, 9 a.m. central time back here in the States. So what do we have going on today? Oh, nothing. I mean, it's a holiday's Nothing's happening out there. Everything's cool. No issues, no problems, nothing to get worried about, right? Uh, Wrong. (laughs) All of the insanity that uh, has been going on, it just kind of quieted down for a day or so, but it's still going on. And one thing that has really been tough for a lot of people is the weather. And I mean, you know, we had it pretty tough for us here in the Gulf South, but I can tell you this, the people up in the north, north, middle point of the state going east from there, they would gladly trade with us. A bunch of utility companies have called on their customers to, in every way you can, conserve electricity due to the frigid weather. Con Edison, which serves the New York City metro area, asked It's 1.1 million natural gas, 3.5 million electric, and other customers in the Big Apple to conserve power as much as possible. Temperatures plunged to about 15 degrees across the board. And they're still high, but thankfully, uh, still low, but thankfully they're 
on their way up. Conserving energy as much as possible now is going to help ensure adequate natural gas supplies for the rest of the weekend and this week. The number of verified deaths attributable directly to this deep, 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 frigid air mass that is still messing with us, the number of the dead, 60. And a couple of those 60 froze to death in their car because they couldn't get any help, couldn't get out of there to go get any help. Think about that. Of course, I've always heard that freezing to death at some point in that process, it, it makes you ex- feel exactly opposite of the way you really are. In other words, you start getting warm and you just basically go to sleep as your body begins to shut down from the outside in. I don't think that's a great way to die. I got to be honest with you. Dying, you know, if you're a Christian, you're going to be okay on the other side of death. But the unknown part of it is tough for all of us. And you certainly don't want to do it in a car stuck out on a highway somewhere in the middle of nowhere and you can't get anything done. That's not the way I want to do it. Well, as we know, Christmas every year, it means a lot of people out on the road going to Grandma's house. And uh, it's been a really tough go. Thousands of us Americans are still in the middle on Tuesday of holiday travel woes following that winter storm. But the big airline that is suffering the most, who would that be? Southwest Airlines. They are under fire for having one of the highest volumes of cancellations Christmas weekend. Thousands of flights were delayed or canceled leading up to Christmas, and the trend is still the same today, Tuesday. According to data from FlightAware, over 3,100 U.S.-related flights were canceled on Christmas Day. Over 7,800 were delayed that day and all the way through the weekend. And then Monday, yesterday, as of 2 p.m., 2,990 flights were canceled. 4,902 more were delayed. However, Southwest is emerging as one of the worst airlines in terms of cancellation and delays across the U.S. Here's a tweet from Tom Rousey, who's from Channel 7 News. I think it's Philly, but I'm not sure. He tweeted this, Air travel issues continue, but now in our area, they're largely related to one airline, Southwest. Video sent by a viewer of our sister station in Baltimore shows BWI Marshall, where Southwest has nearly... 200 canceled flights today, 32 Southwest flights canceled at DCA, 10 at Dulles. And then even down south, it's a bag blizzard at Tampa International with so many canceled flights, especially Southwest Airlines, hundreds if not thousands of bags are stranded. Passengers have told us these are bags from flights that were canceled or from connecting flights that never took off. Christmas Day, Southwest had 1,635 canceled flights. And as of yesterday afternoon, that figure stood at 2,163. This makes it one of the worst airlines in terms of cancellations and delays this holiday weekend. I don't know about you, but 
traveling in the air. I've always loved to fly, and I fly a lot. Not so much the last few years because of COVID and some ancillary specifics. And then, of course, we don't leave town that much anymore because, in part, TNN Live and truthnewsnet.org. But nevertheless, as you know, you can we can take this show on the road, and we're going to do it going to Israel. We've taken the show on the road to places like Atlanta, Georgia, Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, and pretty much anywhere we go that we can get internet, we can do this show. And that's kind of neat. We're going to be doing more of that as the year progresses. I guess the biggie, though, still, is Israel, the end of February. Flying has always been a lot of fun for me, but when there are things like bad major flight delays, cancellations, I can tell you the last long trip I took, it was a couple of years ago, I went from Shreveport, Louisiana uh, to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia on business. So followed this thinking. I needed to be there Monday morning. So I flew out very early Sunday morning from Shreveport to Houston where I was going to make a connecting flight that would take us through Tokyo, Narita in Tokyo, where I would transfer over to Malaysian Airlines and catch a flight same day late that afternoon from Tokyo to Kuala Lumpur. When I got to Houston, the jumbo jet that we were going to fly from Houston to Tokyo nonstop had engine problems. So we sat there all day long, and we got an update every hour. So they were getting another plane. I got to be honest with you. When they tell you the big plane, I'm talking about a big one, when they've got engine problems, I'm not too keen on them fixing the engines and flying nonstop from Houston to Tokyo. I want another jet. Well, they got another jet, but unfortunately, the seats were uh, different seating in that second one, the jet that we flew on. So I wasn't in first class. First class was full uh, when I booked my first ticket, but I was in the front row, uh, you know, where there's no seats in front of you, so I had lots of leg room. Well, they didn't have the same seat for me on the second flight. They did put me in the front row of the aisle, you know, on a jumbo jet where there's a space in between sections and the door there to get in and get out on. I was in the front row of that section, but unfortunately the seat didn't recline. So for 18 hours, I flew in that seat. Thankfully, there was nobody in the middle seat, so I could stretch out a little bit, not much. And because of the delay, my connection, as you can imagine, from Tokyo to Kuala Lumpur was gone. So they put me and everybody else that was on that flight in a Tokyo by Narita, the airport, a hotel. And I promise you, the entire room with the bathroom they put me in wasn't 65 or 70 square feet. I've never seen anything like it. I'd heard about it, but never seen it. Anyway, I didn't get there till the next day, and I missed my first day of the meetings that were scheduled, and you know the whole problem. That didn't have anything to do with the weather. It had to do with mechanical issues. But it is an imposition for everybody. I mean, everybody. We only think about the passengers, but what about the flight crews? 
the guys up front, the captain, the co-captain, the navigator, those people, they all have schedules too, and it messes their schedules up. In other words, those people, that flight crew, when they got to Tokyo, they were supposed to go somewhere else. Did they go to the same place? I'm sure it's a little easier for them to get things worked out like that because they can transfer to another flight, etc., because they work for the airlines. Us, we're going one place and one place only when we leave. I can only imagine what's happening to Southwest customers today. They are not very pleased with Southwest Airlines. Don't forget, in our second hour today, Steve Baker will join us. I think he is still in Washington, D.C. I'm not sure. Remember last week, he floated a little tease for you and me. And the tease was, quote, Dan, I'm working on something really, really big. Really, 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 really big. And I can't talk about the details. This was a week ago, Tuesday, last week. He comes on every Tuesday in our second hour to share with us the latest conflagration he's involved in. He's one of those guys, he's got his nose to the ground An investigative journalist, that's what they do. And when they find something, oh my gosh, they're like a a hunting dog, a bird dog. When they they, uh, smell, sniff something afoot, they're all in. And that's Steve Baker. Don't don't anybody tell him I likened him to a dog. (laughs) He would get very upset. Uh, But he's going to be with us the second hour. We got to ask him, is he going to be able to tell us what the big thing was? I hope he doesn't keep stringing us on. That's just not fair. And we're still in the Christmas holiday. Steve, if you're listening, give us some information. I actually got calls from several people. One of them, if I told you it was, you know them. And they're calling me trying to dig me to see if I knew anything about what Steve was going to tell us. And I'll just be honest with you. I don't have a clue. You heard exactly what I heard, and it'll be the same thing at the top of the hour, the next hour. So so don't miss that. I know you're out there looking for some of those after-Christmas holiday sales. Well, I got some inside information this morning. Holiday sales nationwide are up 7.6%. 7.6%. That's a good sign. But guess what? Those numbers aren't so good when you factor in inflation. Holiday sales rose 7.6%, which is a little slower pace than the 8.5% increase from a year ago. But there's other stuff that factors into that. MasterCard spending pulse had expected a 7.1% increase. The data released yesterday excludes the automotive industry, is not adjusted for inflation, which is eased somewhat, but remains painfully high. Sales between November 1st and Christmas Eve, a period that is critical, very critical for retailers, you know that, were fueled by spending at restaurants and on clothing. By category, clothing up 4.4%, jewelry and electronics dipped roughly 5%. Online sales jumped, listen to this, 10.6%. From last year, and in-person spending rose 6.8%. The reason for that, that jump in in in-person spending was COVID. 
and COVID lockdowns, and then even after the lockdowns, the fear of being out amongst the people. People would just stay in and do their shopping online. Department stores registered a modest 1% increase over 2021. This holiday retail season looked different than years past, according to Steve Sato, the former CEO and chairman at Saks and a senior advisor for MasterCard. Retailers discounted heavily, but consumers diversified their holiday spending to accommodate price rises and an appetite for experiences and festive gatherings post-pandemic. Some of the increase inflected the impact of higher prices across the board. Consumer spending accounts for nearly 70% of our economic activity. Think about that. You and I and our spending make up 70% of U.S. economic activity. And Americans have remained resilient, even since inflation first spiked almost 18 months ago now. Cracks have begun to show, though, as higher prices for basic things take up an increasingly large share of everybody's take-home pay. Inflation has retreated from the four-decade high it reached this summer, but it's still sapping the spending power of consumers. Prices rose 7.1% in November from a year ago. That's down from a peak of 9.1% in June. So it looks on the surface like we're in a good direction. We're moving right back where we need to go. But you're not going to like what I'm going to tell you. And I'm going to ad-lib. I'm not reading this. The omnibus spending bill, what it actually is going to be, and as quick as they start spending this money, the federal government, it is going to be an inflation bomb. I mean an inflation bomb. We, and I'm predicting this, and I'm not one of those that predicts. I don't make predictions like I don't bet on football games as much as I love football. I don't gamble. I don't get into the bookie thing. And I do make predictions in football, but not in economics normally because it's one of those areas where none of us singularly have any say-so, just what we spend, what we buy, and how much we spend. But I'm going to predict for you now. By late spring, we are going to be in the midst of inflation we've never seen. Not even back in the horrible Jimmy Carter days and the early Ronald Reagan days as a carryover of the economic woes of the Carter administration. And it's going to be tied directly to our omnibus spending bill. And we've got some folks that are going to weigh in on that in just a little bit. Meanwhile, we started a new feature that a lot of people said you liked. That was at the top of the show after our intro, which we just completed. We would share a happy song together, two or three minutes of uh, just singing along with a good song. And so you may remember the song I'm about to play for you. It was the background of one of the the, um, cruise ship's advertisements. I guess a year or so ago. It's Andy Grammer. And I like the song because of the lyrics. I like what he says, even the title to the song. It's good to be alive. 
Enjoy Andy Grammer. things are, if you're still breathing, you're still here, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be together. It's a good thing to have friends, to have family, to celebrate together. And I got to be honest with you. I am a blessed man. My goodness, I have a great wife, really a great wife, three amazing children who gave me six unbelievable grandchildren. And I can tell you this. Poppy loves the life I have now. Got some issues, but don't we all? But it's good to be alive right about now, I promise. Talk to Dan. 
Call 1-866-37-TRUTH. TNN Live, the Truth News Network. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, George Walker Bush, do solemnly swear. I, George Walker Bush, do solemnly swear. That I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. That I will faithfully execute the office of President Sorry. of the United States. Let me just get this. Hello. Hey. I was just thinking about you. Yes, I was. Uh-huh. Yes, I was. No, you were. That I will faithfully execute the office of President. <laughs> so, uh... What are you wearing? A president uh, of the United uh, States. <laughs> oh. Say, can I call you back? So help me God. No, so you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you. You hang up. So help me God. You hang up. It's President's Day, and everybody's getting in on the special offer from Verizon Wireless. For just $25 per month, get 1,500 anytime minutes, plus free long distance. Verizon Wireless. Join in. Speaking the truth, the mainstream press will not. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. You know, we don't we don't reflect much on the advertising here, but whoever wrote that Verizon Wireless, I can imagine it's almost like a comedy, uh, comedy bit that somebody on Saturday Night Live puts together. You know, they gotta have some of the greatest writers in the world to do the stuff they do. And this one kind of paralleled that. Can you imagine who came up with the thought of at the presidential inauguration that happens every four years, (laughs) the guy that's just about to be president gets a call from his girlfriend. Oh my gosh. Was that Bill Clinton? (laughs) Oh, it just struck me funny. I wasn't ready for that one. I certainly wasn't, but anyway. Well, I promise you, we have a really, really, really bad situation down at the southern border, and I'm not laughing about it. I'm going to tell you, I actually had a long conversation with Congressman Mike Johnson before he went on the air last week with us, and I said, listen, is there something that people in Congress can do about the fact that the Biden administration refuses to enforce federal immigration law. After all, who goes after a president of the United States for not doing that? I mean, the Justice Department, everybody in it worked for him. The FBI, they all work for him. And so what are they going to do? Is it going to be a coup? Well, the FBI goes and throws the president out of office takes him out using the military? Well, all the military, they all work for President Biden. That's a conundrum that I just can't get my arms around. And of course, the only constitutional way to take any president out of office, unless he's sick. And I mean, there may be some uh, some folks that think this president is sick, but he is not deranged or he's not mentally off his rocker. Politically, there's no doubt that he is, and I'm probably being monitored now, and you may see in the future Twitter feed that I was one of those that get kicks out of Twitter. I don't use Twitter a lot, but I do have a Twitter account there. All I'm saying is things are really bad at the southern border, and even Democrats, some Democrats, especially governors that are getting all wrapped up 
economically and what do you do, Mr. Governor, what do we do to do, get this done? How do we take care of these people? Who's going to pay the bills? That's happening in 50 different states. Every state is now a border state. Nobody's exempt. The Biden administration is going to drop a bunch of illegals in there, and they're not even going to tell you they're going to do it until they do it. Dave Rubin weighed in on this over the weekend. The border, in effect, is open. This is exactly what the Democrats want. And why do they want it? Because they want more Democrat voters. They want more people to come here and get on the dole because their policies will put people on the dole and they will, in essence, live like modern slaves. And by the way, you don't have to take my word for that because that's what's been happening in California, in communist California. They bring in all of these people. They basically give them services and give them phones and give them money. They end up ruining communities, not even by their own fault because there aren't enough proper jobs. Also, you should have to come here legally and everything else. And even This is extraordinary, guys, because this is a pretty rare one for me. Even that soulless lizard person, Gavin Newsom, even he now is realizing the results of their policies and realizing that when you bring in thousands of people and you just give them stuff, that A, it's not fair to the people who are legally here or who are waiting online to get here legally, but it puts a stress on the system that the system cannot deal with. Gavin Newsom is realizing it. I cannot believe this. I should be drinking right now. In an interview with a national network, ABC News, Governor Gavin Newsom said the federal government should be doing more to address the migrant crisis. He said the federal government keeps sending planes and buses to California full of migrants because of all the good work he says the state is doing for the immigrant community, like providing health care. But he says the state is simply overwhelmed. He said with Title 42 being lifted in just one week, the state will not be able to handle the influx. He said nine shelters along the border are already at capacity. The fact is, what we've got right now is not working and it's about to break in a post-42 world unless we take some responsibility and ownership. And I'm saying that as a Democrat. I'm not saying that to point fingers. I'm saying that as a father. I'm saying that as someone that feels responsible for being part of the solution and I'm trying to do my best here. Okay, I want to be clear about my sympathy for Gavin Newsom. I actually have no sympathy for Gavin Newsom. This is exactly what he wants. He's now using this to try to hurt Biden, right? Because he wants to run for president and force, Bi- and force Biden out. So that's, that's all obvious. And I'm saying it as a father. And, uh, it's like, you're for all this shit, man. Y- you, you're for all this. Uh, why are you giving illegal immigrants health care? If someone is here illegally, by definition, they are breaking the law. You got to go. You got to go. I don't mean to be a dick about it, but you got to go. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here, right? That's the situation that we are in with these people. But Gavin has done this to his state, and I would say good luck with all of that in California because the implosion is on the way, and you guys voted for it, and you reelected him, and everything else. You know, that's the second time so far in the first 30 minutes of the show somebody has used the S word. You heard Andy Grammer do it in that song, and now you heard Dave Rubin do it talking about uh, Gavin Newsom. You know, isn't it unbelievable? It's really it's really not unbelievable, but isn't it incorrigible that so many people in leadership, I'm talking about political leadership, the president down to governors, so many of them are very comfortable, it seems, to just turn their backs 
on all the law-breaking that's happening on their watches. And every one of them swears an oath of office. They declare for their states, and in the case of the president, for the nation, what we're going to do is make sure that we take care of the Constitution and all of its contents and the the laws that are contained within it. And if you're a governor, the laws of our state that are duly passed by the duly elected representatives in the states. And then they don't do that? And it's like, no big deal. Have you heard anybody, I mean anybody, that has very simply and very plainly asked the president, President Biden, can you tell the American people why you have your government thumbing their noses at federal immigration law and not enforcing them. Have you heard anybody ask that? No, and you won't. you know why? Because that would be the last time they would ever be allowed to ask the president a question. And they don't want to lose those posts that they have as Washington, D.C. White House press people. That is the most prestigious position to have if you're a journalist in Washington, D.C. So they'll push the envelope a little bit, like Peter Ducey. Peter Ducey is one of the best at just asking the president and the White House press secretary if the president's not around the hard questions. But even Peter has not asked that question. And that is the question, the only question, regarding immigration and our southern border debacle that needs to be asked and answered by the President of the United States. So why don't we do this right now? Why don't we all stop what we're doing, turn our faces towards the Northeast for me, whatever direction Washington, D.C. is for you, and let's just together say, Mr. President, why do you continue to thumb your nose at federal law and you and your administrative people refuse to hold illegal immigration and the folks that are involved in it accountable and are not enforcing the laws that you swore that you were going to enforce. Can you tell us, Mr. President? Now, I know that sounds trite and kind of stupid, but shouldn't that be a question that we ask? Isn't it applicable right now? Of course it is. Why don't we, why don't our governors, why don't our U.S. senators, why don't our U.S. congressmen get in the faces of the White House administrative people from the Oval Office on down and just blast them publicly, ask that question and demand answers for the American people? Believe it or not, there are a lot of people, your fellow Americans, that don't want to get involved in the fray. So many of them refuse to watch the news. They refuse to read newspapers. Most of them that get news, and we have at least two generations, the main source of their news is social media. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Who do they go to for answers? TikTok? Many of them do. And there are news items that aren't necessarily couched as news, but they are developed to social media. And the Chinese Communist government, who is all up in the TikTok, 
They are creating programming in TikTok that is quote-unquote news and obviously anything they would put together. It's going to be a slant for the communist government and anti-American, very subtly in most cases, but a lot, at least two generations of Americans. That's the principal source of their news swallowing. It's all they get. We're not in the new year yet, but I got to be honest with you. We as adults, as parents, as employers, if you are listening to this show right now, you have a responsibility, the same one that I have, to get in the faces of people, not ugly, but look for opportunities to talk to people about what's going on in law, what's happening in politics. And you don't have to get into the deep, dark underbelly. It's there. And if you can just get them to start looking at news information and questioning, get them to question what they're hearing and what they're seeing. If more Americans will start doing that, there'll be a bigger push by Americans to hold our government accountable for what it is doing, what they are doing in the government, and what they are not doing in the government. That's the important thing. Again, don't forget, at the top of the hour, about 23 minutes away from that, Steve Baker will be joining us live from whatever zip code he finds himself in today. Last week he was in D.C., the week before, North Carolina, where he lives. Don't know where he's going to be today, but he's looking for important things to share with us so that we can process them and put them in our lives and maybe make some decisions from it. Have you heard anything over the holiday weekend about Sam Bankman-Fried? Well, we're going to hear little tidbits that come out almost every day about what is being discovered. He, it is reportedly said, took billions in secret loans from crypto hedge fund Alameda Research, which Alameda Research, by the way, is a company that the former CEO, Caroline Ellison, started and managed, and she's the former girlfriend of Sam Bankman-Fried. Ellison said she agreed with Bankman-Fried not to close disclose to investors that Alameda could even borrow unlimited amounts of money from Bankman-Fried's crypto exchange, FTX. So she's holding all this cryptocurrency in crypto accounts that were set up to be in FTX. Now, let me make something very clear. None of this diminishes cryptocurrency. This whole travesty was not about cryptocurrency. It was about FTX. FTX didn't buy and sell crypto coins. It didn't. It held them held them in accounts that they had permission from crypto owners to trade. Supposedly to make those people that own that cryptocurrency Make them more money. It's just like a stockbroker's firm. Merrill Lynch or those big ones. 
That's exactly what they do with traditional stocks and bonds. You invest as an investor. You open an account with their firm. You deposit your money into whatever particular things that you want, and you give them the permission to make you more money when it's applicable to buy and sell your your stock, the money you have there, or dollars and cents that you put in the account, and you've got them authorized to do buy or sell something else. It's exactly the same. But this whole thing from the beginning, this FTX thing, it was a premeditated fraud from the beginning. All he did was talk people into putting their money, their crypto money, or open crypto accounts if they weren't already in cryptocurrency and trust him to make them millions of more dollars. And it was kind of like a greed thing. Everybody likes the get rich quick thing. And cryptocurrency, I got to be honest with you, it's made people multimillionaires and even billionaires. And that also happens sometimes in the stock market. It did for Nancy Pelosi. Every time she had anything that was up in legislation and it was coming before Congress, she always had the inside on it. And she and Paul, her husband, made billions of dollars through the years by being in the right place at the right time. So Sam Bankman Freed, he convinced all these heavyweights that he was one of those kind of people. Put your money here. And so the buying entity was a hedge fund, Alameda Research, which his girlfriend ran. And in the documents, the founding documents for Alameda Research, it gave him, Sam Bankman Freed, the unfettered power to take money out of the client's accounts with Alameda Research, and he could do whatever he wanted to with it, which is exactly what he did. And Ellison said she agreed with him not to talk about any of this with investors, not to tell them that Alameda could borrow unlimited amounts of money from Bankman Fried's crypto exchange. That's according to an unsealed transcript cited by Reuters. Ellison pled guilty to seven counts of fraud and conspiracy herself. Now, what does that mean? She cut a deal. Don't know what the deal is, but she cut a deal, and she went postal on Sam. We prepared certain quarterly balance sheets that concealed the extent of Alameda's borrowing and the billions of dollars in loans that Alameda had made to FTX executives and to related parties. I'd like to know who the related parties are that were getting these loans that they knew would never be repaid. She then said this, I also understood that many FTX customers invested in crypto derivatives and that most FTX customers did not expect that FTX would lend out their digital asset holdings and fiat currency deposits in Alameda in this fashion. She faced a maximum, listen to this, of 110 years in prison before she cut her deal. She agreed to cooperate with authorities. She was released on a $250,000 bond after she pled guilty. 
Her charges include wire fraud, money laundering, and securities fraud. She could serve as a cooperating prosecution witness in the case against Sam. Ellison and Bankman Freed had a rumored relationship when the two lived with other FTX and Alameda executives in the Bahamas penthouse. Former FTX chief technology officer Gary Wang pled guilty in a separate hearing two weeks ago and is cooperating with prosecutors. Wang said Bankman Freed instructed him to alter FTX's code to grant Alameda special capabilities on the platform. Prosecutors indicted Bankman Freed on eight counts of fraud and conspiracy. He was released on a, I just couldn't believe this number, a quarter of a billion dollar bond, $215 million bond last week on Thursday. $250 million. Now, who comes up with that? Well, I mean, when you when you get charged with something and there's a bond set, you very seldom pay the face amount of the bond. You go to a, uh, a bond broker, there are people that are in the business to do just that. And what you do is you put up assets. You pledge assets like real estate assets. And basically what you're saying, um, I'm going to put my house up for this. And if I don't show up for court, the court can seize my house that is the asset for the bond. Well, I don't know many people who have houses that are worth $250 million. Guess what came out about how this $250 million bond was put together? Sam's mother is a well-known, long-time Democrat Party bundler. She works with dozens of big-time Democrat donors. And it is expected, and of course nobody has yet to be able to confirm it, but that she got on the phone and got several of those big-time Democrat donors to put up some significant assets of theirs to help bail Sam out of jail over the Christmas holidays. Bankman Freed agreed with others to defraud customers of FTX.com by misappropriating those customers' deposits and using them to pay expenses and debts of Alameda Research, which is Bankman Freed's proprietary crypto hedge fund, and to make investments. Now, these, these inf- this information is directly from the unsealed indictment. The SEC and Commodities Futures Trading Commission have leveled similar civil complaints against Bankman-Fried, who has maintained he did knowingly commit fraud. His net worth peaked at $26.5 billion and was estimated to be $17.2 billion in September, with most of his money tied to FTX and Alameda. In November, he told Axios he had less than $100,000 left in his bank account the last time that he checked it. I don't know about you, but I, I I just have a hard time believing that this guy would just do all of this stuff and he had no idea that what he was doing was illegal. He's not stupid. 
Well, he may be stupid. But I don't think one thing he did at all, he did without it being premeditated. There's no doubt this is the greatest fraud in financial history. And it's probably way worse than we even know yet. I don't know if we'll ever know the extent of it. Why? Because we don't know who the people are that were involved in it. We do know, thanks to some information that we got live on the air two weeks ago by Dunstan Teo, who is the single biggest holder of cryptocurrency in the world, who's a friend, he's a personal friend of mine and a really good friend to TNN Live. He was supposed to be on the show last Thursday, but he had to go to, oh my gosh, what is it? Not Hong Kong. What's the island nation at the southern tip of the Malaysia Peninsula? I can't believe I can't think of it. Anyway, that's his original home, and he had to go there. He's going to be back next week and will be on the air with us. But he told us that Sam's mother, as I just told you, we knew this already, she's a big bundler for Democrats, heavy, big-time Democrats, and that most of the Ukraine government money that the United States sent to Ukraine, most of it went through Alameda and FTX. Now, why would you think that's a big deal? Well, when you send cryptocurrency, you send it to another person's wallet, and it stays totally undisclosed, and nobody can get access to it except the person that sent it and the person that's receiving it. Now, what does that mean? I'm pretty sure, in fact, Dunstan's positive, that a big bunch of that money that was in cryptocurrency that was supposedly sent to Ukraine made a, uh, a pit stop along the way. You know what I'm saying? And a bunch of it didn't show up in Ukraine. Maybe that's why... Zelensky was in town last week needing more money because a bunch of the $100 billion worth that we've already sent him didn't show up. And uh, he doesn't want to get in a fight about where it went because he's just darn glad that uh, he got some of it. I'm looking for a specific story right now that I want to tell you about. Bear with me for just a second. See if I can find it real quickly. I can't do it. Maybe we'll maybe we'll get to it in our next segment. Of course, our next segment, Mr. Baker's going to join us. Steve will be with us. Let's go to one thing that uh, comes out of the Southwest. You know, Arizona's kind of become the epicenter of questioning the veracity of the uh, election system in their state. And as you know, the governor's race that just happened, very highly contested. A lot of things in it just didn't smell right. I mean, come on now. You've got somebody running for governor that happens to be the secretary of state at the time that she is running for governor. And by the way, she's totally the person in charge of managing Arizona's election center and the whole process. So... You don't think that there may, may have been a little temptation uh, to put a thumb on the scales 
of justice when it came to the election in which she was running for governor against Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake, a Republican, and the Secretary of State, a Democrat, and uh, she's trying to do whatever everybody does or tries to do when they are running for office, get more votes than their opponent. Well, it's been a real back-and-forth thing, and we look back at the 2020 election, Maricopa County especially, which is Phoenix, the greater Phoenix area, which is probably the place in Arizona that determines how Arizona voters' uh, results are going to turn out. And uh, we all know there was a bunch of stuff that happened in 2020. There was a lot of voting irregularity, and there was some cheating that went on. Many conservatives, and I'm one of them, believe it wasn't just a little bit of cheating based upon stuff that I saw. It was massive cheating, but a bunch of that didn't get proved in court. So let's fast forward to November 8th this year. Following November 8th's midterm elections, officials in Pima County, Arizona, they struggle hard to determine how to handle some provisional ballots cast by unregistered voters, discrepant provisional ballot totals, and ballots cast by voters with old addresses, even asking the Secretary of State for guidance. Now think about what I just told you. Pima County is reaching out to the Secretary of State, who is in the race for governor, and they're wanting some information about how to handle these ballots. Now, what kind of information do you think they got? (laughs) So there was a bunch of confusion, a bunch of uncertainty that clouded the county elections officials' decision-making, and they are revealed in newly released internal emails obtained through a public records request submitted by America First Legal Foundation. Just a week after the election, Pima County recorder Gabriela Cazares-Kelly wrote to Pima County Elections Director Constance Hargrove that the recorder's office found that 11 unregistered voters had cast provisional ballots but was unsure what to do about them because her office was not normally in possession of the provisional ballots and she said, my team is very opposed to opening them. In reply to that email, Hargrove sidestepped responsibility, and he wrote this, it is your call how you want to handle the provisional ballots. There was also an issue with poll workers providing voters' ballots with their previous rather than current addresses, and that potentially should invalidate their votes. We're seeing that the poll workers issued ballots for a voter's previous address instead of the new address, which puts them in the wrong precinct. This is Caceres Kelly. She wrote that in a November 12th email to the election supervisor, Hargrove. This is not the voter's error, but it would make their vote ineligible. This was an issue in the primary election as well. We decided to submit them as duplication required and the races they were eligible to vote in were accepted. Are we okay to move forward with this process on our end, or are we wholly discarding ballots based on poll workers' errors? Here, too, the elections director ducked responsibility. Gabriella 
It is not my decision how you proceed, she wrote. I do not know what the statute states about duplicating provisionals. In a November 15th email, Pima County Elections Deputy Director Jeremy Jarge told Kasari's Kelly, we don't have the authority to make a determination about what ballot to accept. We will process any provisionals received and accepted based on that ballot but we will not duplicate onto a different ballot or make a determination about what ballot a voter should have voted. Then on November 12th, Kasaris Kelly reached out to the Secretary of State's office for guidance on how to deal with the ballot issue. Quote, Since this was a poll worker's error and not an out-of-precinct error on the voter's part, duplication of the eligible contest should be fine. Now, that came from State Elections Director Corey Lorick, who serves under Katie Hobbs in the Secretary of State's office. Who is Katie Hobbs? She is the Secretary of State of Arizona running for governor in this election. As with everything, please consult with your county attorney for legal advice. Other issues in Pima County included problem ballots, and ballot counting discrepancies. Problem ballots were mentioned several times in emails with the recorder's office as ballots were being counted and processed. Hargrove asked Kasaris Kelly on the 17th of November what she meant by two problem ballots. The recorder replied, I don't want to highlight the two ballots or anything, but if you're asked, Here's a talking point for the last two ballots. The final two required administrative approval as we completed our final review of eligible ballots. All ballots in our possession get triple-checked, documented, verified, and archived. Sounds real right on and straight to me, doesn't it to you? This is, I, I understand, this is bogging you down. But this is the kind of uh, I'm just going to call it what Andy, Andy Grammer and Dave Rubin said. It's all a bunch of SHIT. The number of provisional ballots and conditional provisional ballots wasn't adding up to your day after election receipt, but we started entering them to see exactly what we have. Kasaras Kelly wrote that we were seeing 1,615 provisional in our system, 650 not in our system. That equals 2,265. On your receipt, the conditionals were separated. But if we add the conditional provisionals, 2,265 plus 70 equals 2,335. That gets us closer to the original number listed on your receipt. But I've been using the numbers from your receipt for reporting purposes, which was 2,460 provisionals and 70 conditional provisionals. There also appeared to be confusion within the recorder's office as the senior applications developer asked on November 14th why the provisional records received is only 1,615 in our export and precinct central states 2,266. Now, I'm done with this story. I'm done. 
Let me just tell you where I'm going with this and the whole reason I wanted to bring this out to you. Do you believe, do you believe that honest, hardworking elections employees, now this was Pima County originally, it wasn't Maricopa County we're talking about, but we're not talking about two votes or two ballots we're talking about 2,335 are in question. And we don't have any verification that they got them right. And many of these should never even have been taken and been processed because their addresses were different. They were okaying somebody walking in and requesting a ballot and they show their ID and they don't live in the same precinct they're in to request a ballot for. Now, this is happening in Pima County. How many other counties in America do you think stuff like this was happening? I'm sure it's many more, but there has been nothing on the level of what has been happening in Arizona the last two major election cycles. Absolutely nothing. I mean, in Maricopa County, there's only one thing that you can point to that causes this massive voting ballot issue in Arizona. Maricopa and Pima County, we know about. We don't know all the details of the pair, but we know there's been massive irregularity there. And then we look to the southeast. You know that wicked, evil, Republican-controlled state now we call Florida with a whole lot more voters there than Arizona has. Now, did we hear any allegations of voting irregularity or cheating or fraud coming from any place in Florida? You know this. Even though the governor and the administration is principally occupied by Republicans, Ron DeSantis has been a big proponent of making sure the election process is there are done fair and right and are very well planned out. And therefore, all of the hundreds of thousands, even millions of Democrats in the state, that means the Democrat Party has a bunch of presence there and a bunch of very powerful people in the Democrat Party there. There wasn't any reported voter fraud at all in Florida. Compare that to Arizona. Now, that's no big deal. Well, it is a big deal because there were same kinds of things that happened in the Senate race there. And the incumbent there was and is a Democrat. And he was scared to death that he was going to lose his seat. Well, the vote tally, there was irregularity. We know that all over Maricopa County, now Pima County. How much was it? Well, we don't know. We'll probably never know. So, we're going to go to a break, and when we come back, Mr. Steve Baker joins us. You don't want to miss it right after this. 
So, Miss Harris, what makes you think you're a good fit with us here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky? Oh, sir, there are so many reasons. I specialized in research and theoretical studies for several years at the Southampton Institute, mm-hmm. preceded by intensive graduate studies at Syracuse. <laughs> Certainly, my skills are well suited for a position here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky? Oh, thanks. A job interview and a root canal on the same day. Want to get away? Get the heck out of there with Southwest Airlines. Fly coast to coast for $99 or less by November 3rd. It was nice meeting you, sir. Yes, we'll get back to you soon. Soon. Southwest Airlines, a symbol of freedom. Call 1-800-IFLY-SWA. No way. Taco Bell's Toasted Cheddar Chalupa is back. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? They toasted six-month-old-age cheddar right onto the shell of a chalupa. That's genius, no delicious, no both. And now it comes in a box with a crunchy taco, cinnamon twist, and a medium drink? Whoa. Oh, sorry, this is this is my stop. Oh, uh, cool. We're all thinking it. The $5 Toasted Cheddar Chalupa box is back. Only at Taco Bell. At limited participating U.S. locations for a limited time only. Contact local store for prices, hours, and participation, which vary. Tax extra drinks excludes freezes. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. Well, I made a few phone calls and got somebody to ride down the road looking for Steve Baker. He wasn't available at 10.05, but I understand now we have him on the phone. Are you there, sir? I am, Dan. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're on the wrong, you're on the wrong, you are on the wrong channel. I got you now, I think. You're hiding today. What's going on? Are you there? I don't, I don't have him. Steve, are you there? Are you there? Man, I'm, I've lost you. Steve, Steve, Steve. I'm here. For some reason, I've lost you. I don't understand this. Let me, uh, let me double check. What about now? Can you hear me now? Yeah, I hear you on the phone, but I'm not hearing you. I'm not hearing you in our system. Are you there now? What in the heck is going on? There you are. I've got you wide open. Well, well. look, I don't know where you are or what's happening, but wherever (laughs) you are is it's create. And you're, you're in the DC area. I imagine there's somebody. No, I, I'm I'm actually on a very windy back road in the mountains of Northern Virginia, uh, avoiding the major highway. (laughs) So be honest with us now. Why are you on the back roads hiding? What's going on? (laughs) Well, you know, I I told, I told my attorney last night, we were on a two hour conference call with a couple of other attorneys and a couple of trial experts and I was going over with them some of the new discoveries that I've made uh, on not only the Oath Keepers uh, 
trial that we were working, you know, several weeks ago, but also on new cases that they're involved in related to January 6th. And uh, after my two-hour conference call, I said, I said to my attorney, can you give me a, a quick five-minute private call after this? And he, he said, yeah, I could do that. So he called me back and I said, so how close am I to going over the line here? Do I need to be looking over my shoulder? Do I need to be, uh, <laughs> do I need to be worried right now? And we, I mean, we, we, we had a good chuckle about it, but the, the reality is, is that, uh, and I, I hate teasing like this, Dan, because I've actually, I've actually dropped a few little hints and teases on some of my social media accounts and people will People will accuse me of being a grifter and, and just trying to inflame things <laughs> hey, uh, I, by doing that. But, I got I got a call from California about I, I've two from California since last week, and they're digging me because hey, offline, can you really tell us yeah. that Steve's on? <laughs> and I tell them <laughs> I think they, they they I think they think I'm lying. I said I don't have a clue. I'm like you. So let me ask you a couple of questions. And I'm getting serious now, Steve. All right, hit me. Is this regarding some uh, government agency stuff? Uh, it, it is. It's it's uh, it's direct and absolute um, uh, cover up by the Department of Justice that that we're working on right now. We are finding we're finding the the leads, the clues to finally getting us into the answers that have not been to the questions that have not been asked by the house January 6th select committee that have not been covered in the trials. There's so much suppression of evidence and, uh, what they call discovery in these trials of not being allowed. And we've discussed this, uh, ad nauseum on all of those nine weeks that I was in DC covering the, uh, the Oath Keepers trial, what I was seeing in the courtroom itself, and I was seeing and watching the uh, the twisting of facts, the 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 hiding of evidence, the suppression of information that is exculpatory. To some of these uh, individuals at trial, and we're finally getting close, I think, and that's that's important. But you know, the closer we get, the 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 more my uh, my my chest gets tight. And the heat, the heat turns up a little bit. Let me, let me just, yeah. I'm, now I'm skipping around the perimeters. I'm not going to ask you to be specific. And then I'm going to do to you what Peter from California did to me. Hey, offline, uh -oh. offline can you tell me anything? <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. But let me just ask yeah. you a couple of questions. Um, can you give us maybe one letter of the specific Department of Justice uh, agency that's going to be involved in this. Just one letter. They're all three letters. Just give us one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, uh, we can start. We can always start with the F word. Uh, <laughs> we don't use that on this show. <laughs> it, it's the it's the other F. It's the three letter F. The three letter F word. Uh, and oh then God. we can and then we we can go to the D word, and that's the three letter D word. Oh. Uh, and and it. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's pervasive. You know, Dan, we grew up in a country, you and I did, that we were proud to be an American. Oh my god. We know the song. We can we can see the song, sing the song. We know the lyrics to the song. But Dan, we are in a country right now where our own government 
is unfortunately, and I, and I, and it grieves me to say this to no end, but our government is that enemy within. You know, we, we, we talk about these guys who take that oath to defend this country against enemies, foreign and domestic, and our domestic enemy is, in fact, our federal government right now. And it just tears me up to say that. You know, you really don't have to tell us that because we see it. Here's the way that I identified it first years ago. It's when elected people that are hard left, when they do egregious things, or they step way over the line, and nothing happens. There's no accountability. And what that does, you can watch it. It emboldens them to go do something more egregious. And the typical example of that is Congressman Adam Schiff from California. He's never been held to anything. And so he just That's he right. just walks around D.C. and he slashes and burns anybody and laughs about it. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. That, that is, and, and, go ahead, go ahead. It's, it's funny, last night I wrote a uh, message, it's about one o'clock in the morning, and I was uh, actually at my daughter's house, she lives in Northern Virginia, and uh, I was I was writing a message after this uh, long conference call that I was on. And what I what I said in the message, I, I think, it, well, it was it was my my post Christmas message is what it was. And my my post Christmas message to the followers of my blog was basically it was my happy day after message. And and I, I based it on, you know, the uh, the the. The poem where I says, "'Twas the day after Christmas when in my daughter's pad, the only creature still stirring was her dear overwhelmed dad. And so I started with that. And then when I get down to the part where in, in the, in the poem where it talks about the, you know, on dancer, on Donner, on Blitzen, I said, now Pelosi, now McConnell, now Harris and Biden on Cheney, <laughs> on Kinsinger, on, on Shifty and Garland. To the top of the firing line, to the top of the wall. Now, right away, burn away to hell with you all. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. Hey, send that to me, would you? I will do that. Yeah, and I'll give I'll give you credit for it, editorial credit when I publish it. But that, that that's really cute. But you know what? There's so much truth buried in that. I want to segue from the obvious illegal stuff that you're looking into to what we, you and I agreed to yesterday, we needed to just touch on a little bit. We can't let the process that was so fanatical go without discussion about the passing of this $1.7 trillion omnibus bill. It's, it's yeah. absolutely crazy at what happened in just a matter of hours just a matter of a few hours, they spent $1.7 trillion that our great, 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 great grandchildren will be forced to pay if they're still around and there's still a monetary system at that particular time. What are your thoughts about this? Well, you know, I'm, I'm one of those rare individuals who will read those 2000 page bills. I mean, I read the earliest drafts of Obamacare. I read the final draft. I think the last 2000 page bill I read was um, one of the COVID relief funding bills that I, that I dove into. Well, this and one I did not read. This one is 4,115 pages. So it's not a 2000 exactly. page bill. And I did, I did not read this one. And, but the, but the, the, the 
crime here is that neither did our Congress members. And even those who would be want to do so, they were only given 48 hours to do so before the vote, before the Senate vote. And that's, that's the crime. And if we don't figure out a way to force our legislators into restricting themselves from passing, voting on laws that they don't even have time to read, that's on us, Dan. That is um, the American people's fault. But I don't know if, I don't know if the America, enough of us care anymore. But that's the biggest crime when you start right there is the rules and the methods with which Pelosi, McConnell, and Schumer were able to draft this behind closed doors using unelected bureaucrats, attorneys, and special interest groups to influence this and then shove it down the throats of the Senate and then the House and say, you have to vote on this. Or we're going to shut down the country country but you know what kind of threat is that shut it down yeah. I, I mean that's no threat whatsoever shut it down i don't know if you were listening but congressman mike johnson was on with me on friday he's a constitutional attorney and he is a stickler for what he calls regular order regular order when it comes to legislation when a bill is to be considered it comes to either the speaker that's in the house or the majority leader that's in the Senate. They make the determination if it's going to be taken up to be considered. When it is, they assign it to the various committees that are responsible for breaking it apart in both sides, the House and the Senate. When it goes to committee, the committee then, they start calling witnesses, bringing in people, experts, to do the yay or nay side of both of these things, and they may propose some amendments uh, they then vote on amendments. The final piece of legislation, as it comes to the committee and is then edited and changed, they vote on it. The committee does. And if the committee right. rules that it is worth moving forward, then it goes back to the speaker, and the speaker makes the determination whether to put it out for the full House to vote or the full Senate to vote on it. If that happens, they debate it. They can offer amendments. So what happens you get everything being decided, being discussed, and disclosed to the American people. In most cases, it takes several months for this. And that's a long right. time. But Steve, yeah. they committed us to $1.7 trillion of government spending, and not one member of the House or the Senate read the bill before they voted on it. That is untenable. It's not ever going to work for the nation because we all know at least 60% of it was junk. It was sent to uh, partisan people, ideals, businesses. We are going to later in the show today, Rand Paul puts out his uh, every year, the last week of the year, he puts out his right. list of the crazy, stupid spending by the federal government. And this year, his list doesn't even include any of the stuff in the omnibus bill. And it represents right. hundreds of billions of worthless spending by our government. That's exactly it. I mean, and this bill alone, you know, we had, uh, uh, we're, we're looking at $3 million for an LGBTQ museum in New York. All right. So why, as a citizen of North Carolina, 
do I have to pay for that? The, this bill also inc includes a set aside for $200 million for gender equity and equality action fund, whatever that is. That's favoritism. Okay. Regardless of how you feel about equity, equality, whether it's relating to uh, gender or whatever other idea, race, nationality, religion, whatever, what is it? Why is it my responsibility to pay for that? There was seven and a half million dollars for, for studying the domestic radicalization phenomenon. Now, who do you think that's directed at, Dan? Well, I'm a I'm a heterosexual white male, so I've got a bullseye on my forehead. That's exactly it. But this is that this should madden every single America American as we are seeing thousands of people every day streaming across the border unrestricted into El Paso. This bill has four hundred and ten million dollars allocated to support border security in Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, Tunisia, and Oman. <laughs> but oh, not a penny, God. not a penny for our. And here, and, and now here I am on one of these back roads. I'm, I, when I say I'm on a back road, I mean I am on a back road. I've pulled over. It took me about 20 minutes to find a cell signal. <laughs> I did. I, I, I started looking for a cell signal a half hour before you called me. And I finally wow. found one, and I pulled over. As soon as I had three bars on my phone, I pulled over because I didn't know if I'd get one at exactly uh, 10 o'clock. So as I'm on this back highway, I, and I'm looking at my notes uh, for our discussion today, one of those allocations of spending in that bill is $3 million for bee-friendly highways. Bees, like, like, you know, a bee buzzing, you know, on a flower. $3 well, million dollars B-friendly highways. I want to talk to the legislator that was responsible for visiting with the bees and finding what egregious things we were doing to them on the highways. <laughs> exactly. You and know, exactly what what are we going to do, either at the federal or the state level, to our roads and our highways to make them more friendly to bees? I don't know. This I don't, is just a gut. I don't like bees. This is just anyway. a multi-million. Yeah, this is just a multi-million dollar handout to some special interest group from some legislature who popped the uh, legislator who popped this in uh, to the bill. That's all that is. It means nothing to the American people, and it means nothing to the bees whatsoever. Okay, let's let's do this. Let's we you and I we and and I read probably two hundred pages. Uh, and it, and if you don't understand what the horrors is of trying to follow this, folks, what happens is they write these bills and they'll start it with a sentence that supposedly describes what's in it, but then they'll say, according to section such and such, subsection such and such, pages 2 through 220, we're referencing that for this particular thing. And then we take this and we add it to what is included. And another thing, it refers, it, it, it's, a, it's a daisy chain of places to go to find out what's really in each section of these legislative bills. This is the way they're all done. I read a, I read a couple of hundred pages over the last 
four days, five days. And I got to be honest with you. It is written so that we don't know what's in it. And some of it, most of it probably, as it's coming out, we won't know what it is until they spend the money, actually write the check, and we hear, you're not going to believe what's included in the omnibus bill. We're doing this, we're doing that. And it'll take years for the effects of this to all be understood. It'll be happening. We're going to be living through the effects of it. And the principal one is inflation. It's going to continue to skyrocket. They're trying to sell to us right now that, oh, inflation is easing down. Prices are easing down. That may be so, but it's definitely temporary. It is impossible for any government. There's no other one that would ever do this, but ours could spend $1.7 trillion in one piece of legislation and it not grossly impact inflation and all that comes with it. We're going to suffer from this thing. We're, we're, we're not only going to suffer from the inflationary aspects of it, but here are the most egregious parts of these multi-thousand-page bills, Dan. And, and I've read enough of them that I can say this with some uh, uh, reasonable expertise and authority, is that when it gets to the regulatory aspects of these bills, and these bills are not just spending, these are packed with regulatory aspects as well. And in almost every single case, there's a very, very dangerous and highly nefarious term. And it says, as the secretary deems, or as the secretary may deem. In other words, what these bills do is they don't just write into law new spending and new regulations, whether it's on individuals or companies or, or, or uh, businesses of, or industries of any size. What it then does is it gives the bureaucrats, the unelected bureaucrats, the appointed secretaries and their underlings and their uh, mammoth uh, labyrinthine uh bureaucracies, the ability then to change, subvert, alter, regulate even further, and make rules that are not passed by Congress and not passed by our representatives. It is regulation. It is taxation without representation. It's inflation without representation because ultimately every one of these bills goes much deeper than the written word by that simple phrase, as the secretary may deem. So it's just giving them a blank check. That's exactly what it's doing. And that's why we end up in these problems where we have uh, uh, agencies like the EPA passing laws and taking people's property away from them or fining them uh, farmers millions of dollars because they dug a ditch in the wrong place. And they, they do this because they're making rules because they've been given permission to do so outside of the regu- uh, the legislative process. Well, just so that we, this is the biggest audience we ever have. People just love you. When you come on the show, they want to be a part of it. So just so they, uh, they don't uh, go to pieces thinking about, <laughs> oh my gosh, there's, there's nothing good that can happen out of this. I asked Congressman Johnson, who is the number four Republican in the in the House? He's heavily involved in pretty much everything. He is on the Ju- House Judiciary Committee. He's involved in some other ones. And I ask him this simple question: 
You guys are going to get control in two weeks, 13 days now, I think. You're going to get control. Is there any way you will be able to go back and reverse or eliminate some of the parts of the bill? And this is what he said. He said, it is a tedious process, but because the House controls the money, all the spending that the government does, it starts with us. He said, we will be able to basically blackmail Democrats and say, we're not going to give you the money for that. Even though it's in in law, they can find ways to hold it up so that it doesn't go there. And I said, percentages, what do you think the number would be? And he said, it'll be less than half. The rest of it, there's nothing we're going to be able to do about it. Americans just don't understand. When you put people in office that go into office and you look at their past and their spenders, they don't give a rip about accountability. They let themselves be accountable to no one. And as I said a few minutes ago when I was talking about Adam Schiff, when they get away with this, they just keep pushing the envelope, just like our kids do. When they're little, you tell them, no, don't do it. They'll do it again. You tell them, no, don't do it. The third time you slap them on the hand and they get a little upset and then they do it again and you don't do anything, they're just going to keep on doing it. That's what we have in Washington, D.C. You as a taxpayer are nothing but a cash register for them to just take money out of it without any consideration or discussions with us. We have seen this now happen two or three times. Like you said, in 48 hours, a bill, 4,500 pages that was put together by eight people total. It was the management process was by the two people, the two lead Democrats in the House, the two lead Democrats in the Senate, their people that work for them in their offices. Those were the people that crafted this legislation. And it took them weeks to do it, but they kept it quiet so that nobody would know what was in them and nothing was going to leak out because they didn't want it to leak out. They wanted it to be forced to be passed in two days, which is exactly what they got. And the most disappointing part of all is these allegedly fiscally conservative Republicans who we keep sending back to the Senate and sending back to the House. What was it, 17 or 18 of those people who run on fiscal conservatism voted for this bill without reading it, those GOP members that did did so. And that's why uh, Representative Johnson told you that it was probably less than half of a chance of anything being done or half of the bill itself being able to be um, uh, stopped or blocked or altered in any way is because, unfortunately, progressivism is uh, a an infection that has infected the GOP almost, almost as egregiously as it has uh, the Democratic Party. Wow. So you're in the woods. You're on a lonely road in Northern Virginia. You were afraid to be in some place where they could track down your signal and come get you and haul you (laughs) off. (laughs) Hey, I don't want to finish this day on a down note, you and I are getting dis- disgusted the more we talk about this omnibus bill and the spending. Um, we want our people to know that as bad as it is, there are people that are out there that are looking at it that have an opportunity to and will do help change 
and move the nation forward. We've got to trust and believe there are people out there that are going to do this. But I told the people at the top of the show, it's going to take us, me, you, Dan and Steve, and everybody that's listening in, to reach out to your legislators and tell them how you feel about all this stuff. Because if they hear from enough of us, they're going to say, well, if we want to be reelected, we need to rethink some of the stuff that we're doing. That has not been happening, obviously. And we can't... We need more more and more warriors like you and I, but not, not the guys talking on the radio and writing articles and blogs. We need more people, those citizens, citizen warriors who have a high-definition camera in their pocket now. Every one of us have that camera now to be showing up at every meeting, every city council meeting, every single um, school board meeting, and they've got to be running those cameras nonstop and recording, publishing, posting the – what's happening in those meetings. They've got to start standing up. I, I, I for years, I, and I may have said this to you before, but for years I was more interested in, in international and national politics than anything. But let's, let's be honest. We're, we're winning battles. We are winning battles at the local level, but we have to win more of them there. Yeah. And it's only till we change what's happening locally that we can take it to the next level. I agree. Well, buddy, It's a great Tuesday because we're alive. Yes, sir. I opened the show with, um, I'm, I'm, I'm changed, changed the, the kind of the format of the show every day. I open it with our Pete Moss intro. And now I come in and give maybe 30 seconds of remarks. And then I play a fun song. And this one was Andy Grammer's. It's good to be alive. Um, (laughs) it's a happy song and we all need more happy songs. I think. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. Ne- next week, we've got something that is near and dear to all of us. If you are still unable to give us anything about the big, big, big bomb you're going to drop on us at some point, you can't do it next week. I want to talk about in detail the crap going on at our southern border. Let's do it. You have a great week, my friend. Thank you, Dan, and, I, and, and not only thank you, but I, I want to thank all of your listeners and all of those extras uh, that show up uh, when I when I'm here on Tuesday. It <laughs> it, uh, it gladdens my heart, and and there are there are positive signs out there. The fact that your army of listeners are paying attention is is important. Now we just need to turn that into action, and everybody can do something. Something. And I want to leave by telling you this, as you were talking just then, I scroll through and we have three Langley, Virginia computers, phones, whatever that have been listening to us. Maybe they're, oh, thanks for, thanks for telling me that. Maybe they're right behind you on that way out in the middle of nowhere road you're on. <laughs> Steve, thank you so much for being a part of this. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you, Dan. See ya. Bye-bye. Old Steve, he brings a lot to the table. He's a character. I got to be honest with you. Uh, this Langley, Virginia stuff, that's the CIA, and they're not listening. <laughs> on Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, they're listening on Tuesday. <laughs> it has to be Steve. 
They know who he is. And when he listen, when they listen to him on this show, they know where he is. He's somewhere out in the middle of nowhere in Northern Virginia. <laughs> With Ford Pass, rewards are just a tap away. Whether it's using rewards points toward things like complimentary maintenance or for vehicle accessories. And with Ford Pass, a tap can also get you 24-7 roadside assistance and lock your vehicle. Only Ford Pass puts all this in the palm of your hand. Ford Pass, built to keep you moving. Subway Restaurant Storytime Theater proudly presents Jack and the Beanstalk. Fee-fi-fo-fum. I smell the... I, I smell, uh, something delicious. Hey, little fella, what you got there? Oh, this? It's the big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Mmm, that does look tasty. It sure is. Climbing that beanstalk out there makes you hungry. Uh, you mind if I have a bite? Sure! I'll trade you for that goose over there with the golden eggs. You got a deal! Hungry for something big? Then pick up a big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Layer upon layer of delicious hot pastrami stacked high and toasted to flavorful perfection on freshly baked bread. Topped with pickles, mustard, and melted Swiss cheese, it's the perfect way to satisfy any giant-sized appetite. Big Hot Pastrami, available at participating restaurants for a limited time only. See restaurants for details. Subway. Eat fresh. Join a community of online learning and find your bright future at the American Women's College of Bay Path University. Getting your college education doesn't necessarily make it so you have different self-worth or you mean more. There's so many different roads you can take. But if you have the feeling that you want it, go get it. The American Women's College is supportive and kind, and what you've created has changed lives, and I'm so grateful that I can say I've been part of it. Enrolling now for September and November at baypath.edu slash future. you heard me tell Steve what we're going to make the topic for next week to be the insanity that continues to happen at our southern border with no explanation, no understanding of why it's being allowed. As I said at the top of the show today, was talking about asking the president questions. And I told you that I've never heard anybody in any of the press briefings at the White House ask the question, that I'm about to tell you, they won't ask or haven't asked the president this. Mr. Biden, why do you refuse to yourself or the people that work for you enforce the immigration law of the United States? Why don't you enforce it? Nobody's asking that. I haven't heard a soul ask that. And it definitely should be asked because it is critical to us Do you have any idea how many have come across that we've caught during the Biden administration? Try 2.3 million just in the last year. A nearly additional 600,000 who are known to have gotten through. That's almost 3 million. How many more got through that we never caught or got any visible evidence that they were there? How many more do you think it is? It's, it's uncertain how many have crossed illegally. As our 
Federal authorities can only count for those who evade arrest using sensors. Therefore, encounters disclosed by the government are likely much lower than the total number of migrants that have crossed the southern border. Taking into account those who have evaded border authorities, it's predicted that border crossings could easily approach 12 million during Biden's four years in office. Now think about that. That's untenable. Absolutely untenable. Did you hear about the disgusting Greg Abbott busing of migrants over the weekend? The left just went absolutely crazy. Andrea Mitchell reports her show on MSNBC. Commentator Ashley Pratt-Oaks went totally insane. She said, Abbott is disgusting for busing migrants to the vice president's home in Washington, D.C. on Christmas Eve. Since April, Texas Governor Abbott has been busing migrants from Texas to Democrat-controlled cities. This announcer, Pratt Oates, said, quote, Well, seems like playing politics with human lives is the entrance fee for running for president on the Republican ticket in 2024. That's a sad state of Republican politics right now. I don't know who she was talking about. Greg Abbott's never said a thing about running for president. He's never been mentioned in any news outlet story that I've seen. But she continued, while Republicans would love to say they're pro-life, they only care about children and families when it comes to babies that are in the womb. When they're outside of the womb, look at what happens. They're anti-Obamacare. They are anti-welfare. They are anti-humanitarian aid in these situations. This is a huge problem. But yet, Republicans, again, continue to see this as the entry fee to the GOP ticket in 2024. Having a hard stance on immigration is that platform for them. To me, Christmas Eve busing three buttloads of Migrants to the VP's house is shameful, disgusting, and should be called out for what it is. But instead, they are, you know, as pointed out earlier, the RNC is putting out statements about the border numbers rather than calling this the shameful political play that it was. So I'm quite disgusted by it. Miss Pratt Oaks, whoever the heck you are, let me ask you a question. It's not a shame. It's not disgusting for this president to allow all of these illegals come across the Rio Grande into the United States. They have no money. They have no clothes. And right now, it's really cold. And some of them are freezing to death. Why is it okay for this president to not only allow this to happen, but encourage it to happen? And yet, it's not okay for one governor to send some of these illegals to places so that they can see exactly what's being forced on the people of Texas and New Mexico and Arizona and California because your president that you voted for, Ms. Pratt-Oates, refuses to enforce federal laws that he swore in his oath of office that he would enforce. But that's okay. But just because somebody dropped two or three busloads of those out front of the vice president's house, that makes them evil, right? 
Steve and I were talking about money. Money, where's it going? Who's spending it? Gosh, who has any idea? So the number now of USA to Ukraine is up to $113 billion. Now, how big a number is that in comparison to other countries' militaries? That number, $113 billion, has eclipsed the annual military budget of every country in the world except ours, the United States, and China. Think about that. We have given that to Ukraine. Now, I, I, I told you earlier in the show, I don't believe nearly all that $113 billion got to Ukraine. Much of it was put in, in the cryptocurrency system through the FTX exchange. And then nobody wants to talk about it, including especially the president of the United States, who formerly as vice president, pointed out that Ukraine has been and still is the most corrupt financial country on the planet. That's where people go with their money, evil dictatorial people, because Ukraine has been known to launder everything and make it clean as it goes through their banks and out to other countries' banks around the world, including the U.S., but nobody wants to talk about that now. And now the passage of the $1.7 trillion omnibus bill grants Ukraine $45 billion. That makes the total to date $113 billion. The Quincy Institutes, Ben Freeman and William Hartung, they catalog some of the ways that aid to Ukraine has exceeded many other of our own government's spending expenditures and even other countries' entire military budgets. Number one, American aid to any country in one year since at least the Vietnam War. This Ukraine number exceeds that. Also, it exceeds Russia's 2023 $84 billion military budget. It's over every country's military budget except for China and the United States. American aid for communities affected by drought, hurricanes, flooding, wildfire, and natural disasters. It's more than $4 billion than those costs added together. Our aid to Ukraine also nearly matches the combined baseline spending for the State Department and the Department of Homeland Security combined. It's almost as much as the $118 billion the U.S. will spend on medical care for all U.S. military veterans. If Ukraine were an American state, it would rank 11th in terms of the amount of federal funding it receives. In other words, in the past 12 months, Ukraine has been awarded more U.S. taxpayer dollars than 40 U.S. states. Leaders in Congress, such as House Speaker Pelosi, Senate Majority Leader Schumer, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, they remain vigorously in favor of aid to Ukraine, despite Americans' increasing skepticism of our even being entangled in Ukraine. A morning consult poll found that 48% of registered Republican voters want to decrease 
the providing of foreign aid. The survey also says 48% of Republicans want to decrease our involvement in other countries' affairs. A December Harvard Caps-Harris poll said that inflation, economy and jobs, and immigration were the top issues for Americans, not Ukraine. Hartung and Freeman argued it is well past time that Americans had genuine conversation about just how much taxpayers should pay for this support of Ukraine. I got to be honest with you. My opinion is should have been gone a long time ago. Now, if you're not mad yet about what our government is doing and not doing, you heard me tell Steve Baker a bit ago I wanted to go over Rand Paul's annual, what he calls Festivus report. And this one, drum roll, comes in at $482,276,543,907 in government waste. Can you believe that? I know you can. We don't have any option other than to agree it. The National Institutes of Health wasted a significant amount of money. That includes $2.1 million to encourage Ethiopians to wear shoes. $2.3 million injecting beagle puppies with cocaine. $1.1 million on training mice to binge drink alcohol. Over half a million using mice to study racial aggression. 187500 on verifying that kids love their pets. According to the report, the PET grant went to Kent State University, which used the funds to apparently, quote, verify the relationship between pets and children is beneficial to mental health. Here's a few other ones. Maintaining 77,000 empty federal buildings. $1,700,000,000. Helping illegal immigrants avoid deportation. $168 million. Overpaying government contractors for a terminated contract. $69 million. Using COVID relief funds to construct an 11,000 square foot spa. $140 million. Watching hamsters fight on steroids. $3 million. Studying the romance between parrots. $689,222, a radio campaign telling drivers to stop at railroad crossings, $200,000. Have you heard it enough? <laughs> Let me find a few more for you to, to, look, uh, to hear about and look at. Let me see. Oh, my gosh. A special inspector general for Afghanistan reconstruction report revealed the Department of Defense spent roughly $28 million on forest pattern camouflage uniforms to use in the deserts after Afghanistan. It was later found the camouflage uniforms were not based on evaluation of its appropriateness for the Afghan environment. The DOD spent 192000 
on what the report describes as top-of-the-line Starbucks espresso machines. This is the 10th year in a row that Rand Paul has celebrated the Festivus. By celebrated, he means, he said, I have a little fun at the expense of Washington. If we don't laugh, we might cry, he wrote before sharing some of the highlights of the report. He did it through social media. This is the 10th year in a row. I'm scrolling down looking. I'm, I'm finding, I, I gave you most of the, the stupidest ones, but there are some more. Fauci had a bunch. You can go to his official Senate page. And you ought to do it. I guess those are the big ones, the ones that I read to you. Anyway, if you want to find out just how egregious our government is on the stuff that they've done, all you got to do is just go read the news. Just go check it out. One of the things that just kills me is all of what's going on in the Twitter feed dumps. And there were several of them that came out over the weekend. Um, The latest federal dumping of Twitter stuff came out. It's number nine over the weekend. And most of it has to do with COVID-19 stuff. Explosive revelations from the Twitter files, this time on COVID-19 and the Biden administration's involvement. Journalist David Zweig reporting how the administration targeted Twitter users outspoken over vaccines, directly naming Alex Berenson as an account to be removed. Twitter also using bots to identify posts from health experts, which turned out to be using peer-reviewed studies or the CDC's own data to contradict the White House's official pandemic narrative. During the conversation all morning long, campus reform higher education fellow Nicholas Giordano and Republican strategist and lead attorney at the Madison firm, Jonathan Madison. It's great to have you both here. And, and Nicholas, I want to start with you first. Let's talk about this because, you know, what we're seeing is it wasn't just one administration or the other. It was both. And both administrations were trying to censor what they didn't want out on Twitter at the time. Either way, you slice it, Twitter's a business. Absolutely. And Twitter was bowing to two administrations, not just one. And I think the frightening aspect is where you have government officials talking about unapproved opinions being displayed on Twitter. And that's language that we see in 1984, Brave New World. You know, it really amazes me. The FBI is calling people that believe this conspiracy theorist, yet we have their own words, their own documents talking about this major censorship push against experts. We were told to believe the experts, to follow the experts, and yet they censored the experts. Yeah, that is so interesting. And you know what also, too, if you look at the political side of this, I want you to listen to, this is Jen Psaki from July 15th, 2001. And again, both administrations have been accused of trying to pressure Trump. But listen to Jen Psaki on July 15th. I want to get your reaction out of this. We've increased uh, disinformation research and tracking uh, within the Surgeon General's office. We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook uh, that spread disinformation. All right. Your reaction to what she had to say. I mean, a different story from the podium than what was real. All of these uh, reactions are very inconsistent, Cheryl. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, that's the sort of the narrative, the tone of this whole administration is inconsistency. When you're explaining your way out of a lie, censorship of certain 
social media program, uh, 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 platforms like Twitter. I, I mean, I think the bigger issue here, even beyond politically, is the legal implications of this. You talked about censorship. We talk about suppression of free speech. Twitter is not a government platform. Twitter is a private medium for social expression. The definition of suppress is to forcefully withhold information. Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge problem, and we've got to address it. Yeah, I mean, you know, he also, uh, this reporter's wig, he also reported that the Trump administration, again, this is both, tried to curb panic buying content on social media in the early days of uh, the pandemic, which I guess you can understand because, you know, going back to March 2020, the, the entire world was in a panic. So fair enough. But again, Twitter listened to both sides of this. <laughs> they listened to both administrations. They did. And I'm someone that used to be in emergency management, so I understand pandemic planning. And one of the number one rules in emergency management is that you want to do the least disruption possible in society, yet they did maximum disruption and tried to squelch any talk or any debate about the issues. And that's part of our problem. You had the public health sector and the CDC that was driving this without any input from other stakeholders in all other sectors of our government and our economy and within the critical infrastructure. And it really shows that the government and the big tech, the blurring of the lines, where they're merging into mm -hmm. one almost. Mm -hmm. Merging into one almost. That's a scary part. Our government's supposed to stay out of the private sector. They're supposed to allow the private sector do what they do and just let the capital markets determine who survives and who doesn't. That's a wrap on the show today, folks. It was a good one. Thank you so much. As usual, we're back on Wednesday tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. You don't want to miss it. 9 to 11, Monday through Friday. Enjoy the day. We'll see you tomorrow.
just disappear. 